Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. sign of the times headline and i know this is going to sound like an odd uh an odd headline for me to suggest as a sign of the times but the american cancer society has updated its guidance for cervical cancer screening you're going to say to yourself um that does not sound like a sign of the times headline well words matter and we need to be watching for changes in the use of words or for the avoidance of the use of a word. So when somebody is avoiding using a a commonly understood term, in this case, the commonly understood term is woman or women. And note the avoidance of the use of the term woman or women in this uh, in this lead. The American Cancer Society updated its guidance for cervical cancer screening. Those with a cervix should begin regular screenings for cancer at age 25, which moves back the 2012 recommendation of screening starting at age 21. At the same time, the new guidelines suggest that individuals with a cervix be tested for HPV. And then it goes on to talk about HPV. Um, Note there that uh, in the places where this announcement inserts the words, those with a cervix or individuals with a cervix, we might have commonly expected the word woman or women to appear. And so um, while I'll grant that a very small percentage of women are born without a cervix and that another small percentage of, of women, um, particularly in this, uh, in this age range that is discussed here, 21 to 25, very, very small percentage of those women um, have had their cervix removed through a hysterectomy or surgery related to cervical cancer. There is, I think, behind this a more sociological reason. The words man and woman or men and women have become confused in the cultural lexicon of of our day because man and woman um, are now categories of of self-identification or certainly they're treated as such. So we have talked about the use of preferred pronouns or how schools or college competitive sports or even dating are affected by uh, transgenderism. But there's also very real pressure experienced within the medical community um, and increasingly in, in our prison system. So while the debate rages about um, the mutilation of otherwise healthy flesh, of those who demand that their healthy body parts be removed, um, while that debate continues, I think that we should expect uh, more of what I'll describe as these verbal gymnastics or efforts to avoid the use of of what have been commonly understood words in our cultural lexicon, words like man and woman or men and women. So I think that you and I could expect to see questionnaires and forms change to reflect the reality that people are confused about uh, basic identity, basic biology. Um, 
So the biology is not confused, which is why the American Cancer Society is using here the description of uh, those with a cervix or individuals with a cervix, because, by the way, a person with a cervix is by genetic definition a woman. She is also she. And unless, again, she's one of a very, very small number of individuals born without one, she has a uterus and, if healthy, a menstrual cycle and the capacity to become pregnant and give birth. All uniquely characteristics of women. These are not realities for those whose DNA is genetically understood as XY, also known as men, who we can now anticipate will henceforth be described as individuals Well, I don't know. Well, no, they can be described as without a cervix because there are women who do not have a cervix uh, for the reasons that I laid out early on. You You see the complication. You see the challenge. Why bring this up? Because it's a sign of the times. And you and I have to learn how to become very comfortable having very awkward conversations about words, what they mean, and when they are avoided. All right, next up, Paul Asay is joining me from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're going to talk about a few more signs of the times, in particular the media that is out there for consumption today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Say from Focus on the Families Plugged In. You can find everything we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Paul, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. Man, I tell you what, I am ready to get back into the theaters and actually see some actual movies on the big screen these days. Is that going to happen? <laughs> Someday, maybe. Is that going to happen? Maybe. <laughs> you know, I just don't think movies are just going to go away from theaters. I just think we love them too much. No, I think there, and I think that there's a... Um, there's something culturally about going to a movie and and that and that shared experience in community with other people who you don't know. But a community is created through the shared experience and um, and the ways in which it gives us then something to talk about. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, it's not happening yet. And so movies are being released on other platforms like Netflix. So let's actually talk about some, um, some reviews you guys have posted right now at PluggedIn.com. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's start with Kissing Booth 2. You bet. That is actually burning up the uh, Netflix airwaves, if you can call them airwaves. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, Kissing Booth 2 is obviously a sequel of The Kissing Booth, which ran on Netflix about two years ago. Um, this new sequel is very popular on Netflix. It's number two, I think, on their on their little algorithm of their top ten list. Um, and, it's, and it features these two teen lovers named Elle and Noah. Um, Noah is just about to go off to college, go off to Harvard. Elle is a little bit worried about that. She's a senior in high school, and she's worried that all these experienced college girls are going to woo Noah away. Meanwhile, she's debating whether to follow Noah off to Harvard. Uh, But the only way she can do that to earn enough money to, to go to that very elite, very expensive school is by winning a dance competition. But... To win the dance competition, she has to dance with this other hunky rival. Um, so obviously, there is a lot of teen drama here. And 
although it's rated TV 14, uh, this particular movie is given a TV rating. Um, it is not. It, it is not appropriate for teens, I don't think. It's a, it's, it is, uh, all the teens in it are pretty sexually active, apparently. Um, you don't see a lot on screen, but it's pretty obvious what's going on. There's some alcohol and drug use, and the parents are just completely clueless about everything. Um, it's, it's kind of a disappointing um, exercise in, in teen rom-coms. But as you say, I think that this is sort of a sign of the times. I think this is where... Um, Entertainment producers think that the American, uh, the American youth is at right now, and that's being uh, that's being fairly sexually active. Yeah, and they make movies that that people consume, and obviously people are consuming this. So the sign of the times part of that is uh, is significant as well. All right, how about Animal Crackers, also releasing on Netflix? Yeah, Animal Crackers is a much nicer, much gentler movie. Uh, it's aimed squarely at teens, and it has a huge vocal cast. Uh, you'll hear the voices of John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Ian McKellen, Sylvester Stallone is even on here, Danny DeVito. Um, and it's a story about this guy who inherits this circus. It's a broken-down, run-down circus that he actually grew up in, but he doesn't quite know what to do with it now. Um, he is about to get rid of it when he under, he learns from an old clown that the folks who owned it before had a secret. They have a secret box of animal crackers that when you bite into a particular cracker, you turn into the animal in which it depicts. So it's it's a really kind of unusual magical type of a type of a background backdrop for this particular story. Uh, the the movie itself is not spectacular, but it does have some nice messages about perseverance and about family. Unfortunately, it has a lot of bathroom humor as well. So that's something to be aware of for parents. It's 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 not completely necessarily off their radar, but it is something that that definitely check out the plugged in review, the full plugged in review online, just to see whether it's appropriate for your sons and daughters. All right. And then let's do this one because um, I'm, I'm thinking that the, we can give the, the thumbs up to the legend of five mile cave. <laughs> yes. The reviewer actually said, I thought this was a great line that, that it's sort of like an old West show meets the Hallmark channel. It is the good, the very, good version of the Hallmark channel, not the, good the, not the one the that is now confused. Yes. Mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It takes place in the, in 1929. Technically, uh, you have this mom and her young son who are just trying to make ends meet just as the depression, the great depression is rolling along. They bring in, uh, this border who kind of helps out with uh, with a number of projects around the house to sort of to pay for his room and board. Uh, and, and in the course of time, uh, this, this strange vagabond becomes friends with the young kid, and they begin to talk about this old movie character, or this old West character named Shooter Green, who uh, the kid's mom thinks is just an imaginary character. But the guy, the Sam is his name, insists that he's real. And so a lot of the story is actually told uh, in in flashback. And it tells the story of Shooter Green and his and the love that he had for a particular woman, how he was betrayed, how he overcame it all. It's a really sweet, nice, old-fashioned, 
Old West type of story. Uh, if you're a fan of, of Westerns, especially the old time Westerns that didn't have a lot of, you know, blood and swearing and whatnot, this is probably one that you might really enjoy. And I think that that it really is very family friendly. It's it's a cool story told pretty well. All right, Paul, Ace and I are going to take a very brief break. When, we're, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about some of the media headlines of the day. We're going to pivot. I didn't even know that there were still awards going on. So we're going to talk about the Emmys up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Paul Ace from Focus on the Family's Ministry, Plugged In. You can find the article we're discussing right now at PluggedIn.com. Um, all right. I'll just admit to you, Emmy nominations, not uh, not in my wheelhouse. Glad it's in yours. Talk about um, <laughs> Emmy nominations. Apparently, the Emmy Awards will, will be uh, celebrated. I don't know if that's the right word on September the 20th. But the uh, but the nominations are out now. The nominations are out now. And actually, this is sort of an unusual year, obviously. It's an unusual year for all of us. But for the first time ever, the Emmy nomination or the Emmy show is actually going to be virtual. You're not going to have a lot of people gathered in one place. They're actually going to be at home, accepting the awards from home. So uh, we'll see how that works. I, I don't quite know how that's going to uh, to shake out, but I guess we'll see. Um, in the meantime, we do have a bunch of, of nominees to talk about. I don't know how Emmy squeezes so many awards out. They they have they give out tons and tons and tons of awards. Uh, the big uh, winner, if you can say that, uh, for the Emmy nominations was Netflix. Netflix scored 160 nominations, uh, which uh, which topped the old record held by HBO. HBO was second with 107. And uh, one of the things that that took me by surprise, or actually it didn't really surprise me, but uh, it, it definitely drew my notice, is how few shows Emmy awarded that uh, that are are suitable for families. Um, most of the the nominees are rated TVMA, which is the 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 equivalent of a T or a, an R rating for for television shows. Uh, most of them are really really crass. I've seen most of them, and they are just not very good. They they even they even make an R rated movie pale in comparison. Often, um, the only uh, real standout for family viewing would be The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, which nabbed 15 nominations, which was pretty good for a new show on a completely new streaming service. So uh, that was that was the really one great family show that, that I think drew some attention. Other than that, it was all just a lot of harsh, uh, difficult, um, good storytelling, but with a lot of really problematic content that was awarded. Um, all right, Paul. Let's um, let's let's talk about one specific um, show, because in the midst of everything that's going on, I do hear my friend. Let me just go ahead and confess: I haven't watched it. I don't watch hardly anything on television. Um, but a lot of people are talking about the series The Chosen, and apparently, it is it's getting a second season. So, talk with us about The Chosen. You bet. You know, this is kind of exciting. This is actually, um, this is a show that I think could be considered eventually for some sort of Emmy love, you know, because The Chosen is a, a really unique 
uh, television show. It's not airing on Netflix. It's not airing on any network. Uh, it's actually being streamed on its own app. And it is about the life of Jesus, essentially. The first season, uh, which you can watch for free, uh, sort of outlines the very, very earliest days of Jesus's ministry before he even really began his ministry. And it focuses on uh, a lot of the ancillary characters that surrounded Jesus. It talks about Nicodemus and Peter and Mary Magdalene. These are the prime players that, that we get to focus on and how Jesus impacts them. Um, it's a very creative story, I think, and, and it's one of the, the, the elements in Christian media that I think really stands apart from, from some of its peers. Uh, it takes more cues in some ways from prestige TV, some of these shows that are being nominated for Emmys and whatnot, uh, than, than your typical Christian entertainment fair. Um, and it was just selected to, to go forward with a, with a second season. It's all uh, crowdfunded. Uh, they depend on donations to create these shows. Uh, but apparently they have enough funding now to begin shooting. And they're actually going to begin uh, the process of, of creating the second season in September, about the same time the Emmys are going out. Um, I find that pretty interesting in part because with COVID, so many uh, productions for, for TV shows have been shut down. We're not going to be seeing a lot of new content for a while because it's going to take a while for, for these, these entertainment producers to create new shows for us to watch. If The Chosen goes on as planned, um, it's possible that it might be landing in sort of this desert of entertainment options. And as such... It might be a show that more people are going to check out just because of the lack of options. Um, and that's kind of exciting. If it actually happens, I think that that could be really exciting because I think that The Chosen is a really worthwhile show. All right. So VidAngel, V-I-D Angel, VidAngel.com is um, uh, is a really cool streaming platform that I will admit to you I didn't even know about before this. And so The Chosen is... Um, is worthy of our attention as Christians, not just because it's positive content for us, but it's something that we can positively share with others as well. And VidAngel is the streaming service, uh, streaming service behind that. Um, Paul, anything, uh, anything else you want to cover um, in the couple of minutes we have left today? You know, I think that it's just it's a fascinating time to be living and to be studying entertainment, to be honest with you. I, I know that you're you're in uh, this industry that that is designed to reach out and 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 touch people in really vulnerable times like this. And I think that that oftentimes we turn to entertainment in part to to help us both deal and, and in some ways relieve some of the pressure that we're dealing with in these hard, hard times. Um, it's a fascinating time to be covering entertainment. Um, it's disappointing in some ways that, that some of the entertainment, as we saw from, from the Emmy Awards, can be so harsh, can take us into a darker place than I think that we would like to go at this point in time. Um, and I really like the idea that there are shows like The Chosen, and there are a lot of secular shows that do this as well, uh, that, that can inspire us and uplift us and give us something to uh, embrace and talk about with each other. You know, I think that one of the great things about entertainment is it allows us to actually process some, some pretty big themes. And uh, that, to me, is one of the best things about my job is when I get to see things like that and talk about them 
and process some of my own feelings through them and let other people know about the good stuff that is out there. Paul Ace, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, you guys can find everything that we talked with Paul about at PluggedIn.com. Paul, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Love to talk with you, Carmen. Thanks so much. That's mutual. We'll be right back. I'd be tempted to tell you that our next conversation is about a word that I learned just reading the subhead of the article I'm about to discuss with Josh Laxton. The word is insalubrious. 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 So it means unhealthy or unwholesome or the way you might go about something to actually not produce a healthy outcome. Uh, We're going to talk about discipleship practices and programs. We're also going to talk about the convergence of the mission of God and the image of God and a different way of understanding discipleship. All of that, all of that, uh, in a conversation with Josh Laxton. Up next, here on Mornings with Carmen. You have a Bible? Read it. This is Max Licato. When anxiety termites away at your peace, read Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Or perhaps laziness is knocking on your door. Read Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Don't make a decision, large or small, without sitting before God with an open Bible, open heart, and open ears. Philippians 2.13 says, God is working in you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases Him. You have all you need to face the giant-sized questions of your life. Most of all, you have a God who loves you too much to let you wander. You have a heart for God? Eat it. A Bible? Read it. This is Max Lucado. Josh Laxton works at Wheaton's Billy Graham Center in the at the intersection of mission and evangelicalism. And he's joining us today to talk specifically about an article that he wrote. It's posted at ChristianityToday.com entitled The Convergence of the Mission of God and the Image of God. Josh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It is great to be with you, Carmen. Thank you. You are uh, responsible for uh, the Mornings with Carmen word of the day, insalubrious, which uh, I I introduced uh, to the audience um, as the tease to this segment. So uh, what you're seeking to do is reframe that which is insalubrious in relationship to our discipleship practices and encourage us to move in a salubrious direction, which I also discovered is a word. So there you go. So here's how I'm going to start. If I were to ask you the question that you have asked others over time, um, are you a Christian? How would you answer the question? Yeah, so for me, how I would answer the question is, yes, I am a Christian. And then many times people follow up and go, well, how, how do you know? And for me, the reason why I know that I'm a Christian is because I've placed my trust and my faith in Jesus. Uh, what he did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So um, I love that you started your article that way because I, I think that there's this um, 
there's this tendency to imagine that if I meet somebody in church or at a church-related event or at a Christian conference, you know, there's just this assumption that everybody's a Christian and everybody understands that term the same way. Everybody understands that that's, uh, that, that is about identity and it's about belonging and it's about purpose. Um, but it's not that for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that when we ask that question, how do you know that you're a Christian, they are not giving the answer that you gave. They are giving other answers. What are those other answers that people are giving? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I've been in ministry uh, over 20 years, and I mean, it, basically it runs the gamut, right? Well, I was baptized when I was eight. Uh, I go to church. Um, I, I read my Bible. Uh, I pray. Um, I, I, I even give. Uh, and so and, and then there's probably others, too, that people um, answer or, or other answers that people give. But th- those are kind of the main ones that I've heard throughout the years. Okay. And what's wrong with that? Well, those are great things, uh, and those those are activities of a Christian, but they are not what make you a Christian. And so, and I think that's the big, you know, the big thing because you know, in in the article, I also talk about this whole idea of of uh, you know this this ontological um, uh, aspect of of being made in the image of God and the functional aspect of being made in the image of God. And what happens is many a times is that we we start looking at the functions of what we do and we say, well, what we do actually leads to who we are. And what happens is, is that if we put if we put activities, if we put functions before who we are, then our activities and our actions become actually who we are and we become religious um, and we become what uh, Jesus would call pharisaical. Uh, because they were they were religious, they did they had all the functions down pat, but there was something wrong with their heart. So I think in architecture, you know, we talk about form following function. The argument that you're making is function. What I'm doing as a Christian has to actually follow the form of who I am, and that that my identity is formed in Christ. My, I'm I am not what I. I do not become a Christian because of the Christian-y things that I do or the Christian environments in which I place myself. Um, my identity is either formed in Christ and formed in the Word of God, or I'm just frankly not a Christian, no matter how many Christian-y things I do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why, I, you know, it, I'm not a mathematician at all. Like, I mean, I pass math, but uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm a theologian, I'm, I'm a missiologist, but but I like to think of this simple kind of formula, identity plus nature equals image. And in some sense, you got to get the you got to get the formula right. It's sequential. Uh, who I am plus what I do equals what I image or what I reflect. And when you go back to in the, the reason why I really wrote the article to kind of help us frame discipleship, maybe in a different way of saying we need to start with this 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 idea of the image of God. We know that when God created Adam and Eve in his image, uh, back at that time, uh, what kings would do would they would be to place an image of the, you know, kind of a statue, an image of themselves in far flung corners of their territory, signifying that they have dominion over that land. Well, so when God places Adam and Eve here 
as his image bears, they are to reflect his dominion. They are to reflect his kingdom, signifying that he owns planet Earth. And so you start with this identity of who I am. Then it leads to the things that God wants us to do that would reflect him and thereby we image him correctly. But if you get the, if you get the formula wrong, if you put your identity in something else or someone else, whether it be money or whatnot, well, then your functions are going to tailor around that, and then your you, what you image will, will be that. And then if you put your nature or, or if you put your function and that becomes what, what makes who you are, then you're going you're gonna to image that. So, so that, that's a formula that I have uh, constructed uh, in the last couple of years. All right, the formula for those of you who were taking notes, who I am, identity, plus what I do, identifiers, equal... Uh, who or what I reflect, and that is uh, is image. And yeah. so in a culture that thinks that image is everything, um, this is a really important conversation for us to be having. And as a part of a church that has received this great commission to go and make disciples, we have to understand what discipleship is um, and what it means to be a disciple before we start to imagine that we could go and make another one. All right, Josh Laxton and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You can find the article at ChristianityToday.com. It is uh, Convergence. Let me read it right off the sheet of paper I have it on. The Convergence of the Missio Dei and the Imago Dei, a way to understand discipleship. We'll be right back. We need a strong God. Yeah. We need the real Talking with Josh Laxton, if you want to uh, read a roundup of some of his writing, you can do so at joshlaxton.com. Uh, you can find the article we're talking about today at christianitytoday.com. Um, we're talking about the convergence of the Missio Dei, the mission of God, and the Imago Dei, the image of God, uh, as a way of understanding discipleship um, and really, frankly, arriving at the place where the church does discipleship differently. And so, Josh, let's make that pivot. Let's talk about, you know, the practical implications of this conversation. Yeah. Describe to me what it, you know, how how it, how does it look different to do discipleship at this convergence of the Missio uh, Dei and the, and the Imago Dei? Well, first of all, I would, I would say you need to define discipleship. I think we live in a culture now where you always have to define your terms. And uh, because we talk about discipleship as if we know what it is, just like sometimes people talk about the gospel as if they know what it is, right? So I define discipleship as the rehabilitation process of learning what it means to be human after the likeness and image of Christ. Because when the fall happened, when Adam and Eve sinned, they shattered the image of God on humanity. It, they didn't obliterate it. It's still there. But we just as if uh, a mirror got shattered, uh, our image, uh, the image of God on our life, it's fragmented, it's distorted, it's not whole. And so with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, what we now have uh, we, we actually have the power now because of the redeeming power of Jesus to to fully learn what it means to be human after the likeness and image of Jesus, who was the very image of God. So that that's how I define discipleship. And then that takes you on a whole nother journey, practically speaking, about, OK, well, how then do you go about making disciples? All right. And when you use the word rehabilitation, which I really like, I'm writing that down, um, because in the article, you use the word restoration process, 
but rehabilitation yeah. is um is really strong because that that illuminates the reality that I have an addiction to my sin <laughs> and yeah. that I'm that I am uh I I am well practiced in in grooves that are going to need to be uh completely changed um if I am going to live as a follower of Jesus in a meaningful way so let me uh let me read the the definition of discipleship um, here again, the restoration process or rehabilitation, learning what it means to be truly human after the likeness and image of Jesus. Um, such, such, that's so strong. All right. So let's talk about some of the practical implications of that. Yep. So the practical implications is, so, you know, a couple of things. One, people, uh, whenever I talk about this, people want to know, well, how do you measure that? You, you know, because we, we want to measure things. Uh, and traditionally, churches measure, you know, whether or not they're successful on the three B's, right? Buildings, bodies, and budgets. And then when it comes to discipleship, they, they measure on attendance. Uh, did you read the word? Did, did you pray? And all, so, they're, so they're measuring activity. And again, I, 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 have, I have nothing, you know, nothing wrong uh, to say about kind of more of the traditional measurements. But if we're going to measure this, I would say this definition of discipleship, uh, it, it, the, the transforming way is better. And here's the four things that I would say about transformation. Are you becoming more like Jesus? And then if you're like, well, well, what does it look like to be like Jesus? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gives us a pretty good idea of what it means to be like Jesus. Uh, the second thing is, are the people around you in your community, like in your faith community, becoming more like Christ? Like, are, are is your investment and your influence in your life on them making them more like Jesus? Three, uh, are are you are you at, at the end of the day are you actively involved in in attempting to reach others far from Christ? Because uh, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we cannot we cannot follow this vein of discipleship and trying to you know uh, uh, be human after the likeness and image of Jesus without going after people far from Jesus. And then the last is is the environment or the community or our city that you are planted in improving in the way of flourishing because of you. Like, are you making the world a better place? Uh, like your little micro world. Because what that what what those four things get at is is transformation, and see if discipleship is this this re restoration process of learning what it means to be human. That's a transforming process. So it's not an informational process. It's not a religious process. It is a transformation process. All right, I took lots of notes um, because I I concur with you. And I think that getting people, each and every one of us, to think differently uh, about discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus um, is critical to the church really having uh, a different kind of impact than it has had culturally over the last couple of generations. Um, I think it is fair to say that until the church is really becomes what she is meant to be, the culture is certainly not going to um, be transformed. And so people who, uh, you know, who sort of rail against cultural realities, but who are not themselves living lives that are aligned with Jesus and then going forth, as you're describing here, as agents of grace, ambassadors of the kingdom, uh, ministers of reconciliation, actually going out after people who are living far from God, 
um, and therefore far from Christ. You know, if we're not doing those things, why would we be surprised that the culture in which we live, you know, continues to devolve in, in you know, in really, you know, heartbreaking ways? So yeah. um, when you look around, um, you're a missiologist, when you look around and and you see the the Imago Dei language out there, and you see the uh, mission of God or Missio Dei language out there. Um, let's do this. Define those terms, because I do think that when you point to the reality that we have to define everything in a conversation today, let's be sure we have defined those terms so that people understand what we're what we're really pointing at today. Yeah. So, uh, so the image of God, I'll start with that. Um, like John Calvin, he says uh, that basically being conform, you know, being made in the image of God means that we represent and reflect God's image. Um, and Christopher Wright says the image of God is not so not some, something that we possess; it's, it's who we are. And the the thing that I, w- I would say about that is because we have been conformed into the image of God, we do the things that God does. Uh, and that's part of the Genesis, part of the creation mandate, Genesis one twenty eight: be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. So we relate, we create, we operate. You know, and that operation of of being human falls under the dominion and the sovereignty of God. So that's image. The miss, the the, the mission of God. I, I simply define it is that God is on mission to create a people for Himself that would reflect His glory in all spheres of life. We see that in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see that in Israel. We see that in Jesus. We see that in the church. And then in Revelation 21, we see that there as well, where it's God's people in God's place living under his rule and reign. Josh, I really I appreciate your approach. I appreciate you joining us today. Um, and, it, you know, insalubrious might be the word of the day, but the ideas of the day are the mission of God, the image of God, and the way we understand discipleship. So thank you so much for speaking into our lives and walking with us in this journey, in this generation. You guys can find Josh Laxton at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton. You can also find him online, joshlaxton.com. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. It was a pleasure. Likewise. We'll be right back. I hope you were blessed uh, by the conversations that we have had today. Um, If you're thinking that you know somebody who could benefit from hearing these conversations, you can get today's podcast at MyFaithRadio.com a little bit later this morning. Um, Let me close with this. You're going to hear a lot of forecasts, uh, probably, you know, weather-related, foreshadowing of news that's likely to happen, Um, foreknowledge of some things, like, right, God is going to be God, God is good. Here's some here's some for you. The sun's going to rise. Rain is going to fall. When it falls, it's going to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Uh, storms will arise. Seas will rise. They will batter us. Uh, and whether or not your house is built, your life is built on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ is the ultimate question of whether or not you and I are going to withstand. So God is going to be glorified. All creation is going to sing his praises. Some people will add their voices to that chorus, but other people are going to turn their backs to God instead of turning their faces uh, to him. The the world is going to turn. I I can tell you with confidence, the world is going to turn. And by grace, some people are going to turn toward the living God. You and I get to be agents of that. 
we get to be the people who go forth into the world that God so loves, fully equipped for every good work that God has prepared for us in advance or in advance for us to do, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit with the word of God uh, and his peace upon our lips, we get to invite people into a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. What greater plans could we have for a weekend or for a life? All right, friends, thanks for spending this time with me. Have a great week. Have a great day, great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.